Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Blessed be the name of the Lord who reveals himself to us as the good father who gives good gifts unto his children. Now I know that some of us have opened our packages from God and we were maybe expecting candy, cookies and stuff like that. But you opened yours and what you found was broccoli and Brussels sprouts or something like that. Well, I'm using those because I do not like those veggies, but maybe you do. But you opened it and you saw something that you really did not like or were not expecting from him. You are the one I'm encouraging this day as we start, just as I encourage myself. Remember that God is a good father regardless. He knows what he is doing. He's using all the opportunities he gets to refine our faith and to bring forth growth, to enable our growth. So trust him, stay in the lane he's put you in. And just as he always does, when you get to the other side and look back, you would appreciate what he was doing. We don't have his wisdom. We know in part. So trust him as you've done before. He knows what he's doing. He is a good father, regardless. God is a good God, regardless. Now you're welcome back to Gospel Conversations with Jermaine, where the gospel takes center stage. I'm thankful for your life and for the fact that you're here with me as we continue to study to show ourselves approved. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, as we continue to consider what you've written, what you've revealed, we ask for understanding in the name of Jesus. We ask you, Holy Spirit of the living God, take away scales from our eyes, take away veils covering our understanding, any limitation at all. Our desire is that as we consider what is written, as we look into it, as we dig, that we arrive at the knowledge of the truth so that we're not deceived. We give you praise for hearing us and for answering our praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. For those who are taking notes, this is the cross of Christ, part three. The cross of Christ, part three. So obviously, if you missed any of the previous sessions, I'll encourage you to listen to those because we're building upon the foundation that we already laid. We started by having three sessions of what we titled power to save, and then we segue it into the cross of Christ. Let's start with a scripture that we read in the previous session in Romans chapter 4. I'm opening the New King James Version of the Bible that I have with me, and I'll encourage you as always, please grab a Bible if you have not done so yet, so we can read together. Romans chapter 4, I'll start from Verse 22, Romans 4, 22. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Bible has explained to us, the apostle Paul in writing to the Romans, he explains why God called Abraham righteous, why he tagged him righteous, why he declared him righteous, which has to do with the fact that Abraham was fully convinced. He completely believed God. His faith in God was full. That's why he was called righteous. Now, verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us 
it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So he's saying it's not all about Abraham alone. It's also about us. If we believe that God raised Jesus the Christ from the dead, if our faith is full in that revelation, if our faith is full in that promise fulfilled, then we too will be declared righteous. That is the good news. Hallelujah. Verse 25. This is the reason why Christ was qualified to do that. Why in him we also are called righteous. Verse 25 of Romans 4, he was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So Christ was delivered up to the cross. He was given up. He was sacrificed because of our offenses and he was raised because of our justification. That's where we ended last week and we'll build up upon that using the book of Hebrews. So please open to Hebrews chapter nine with me. Every time I'm given a couple of seconds of uh, as I wait, it's because I'm opening up to that scripture and I, I encourage you really not just to listen to me, but to open your Bible as well. So uh, Hebrews chapter nine, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 28 says, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Remember what we just read in Romans 4? He was delivered up because of our offenses. And here the writer of Hebrews says he was offered once to bear the sins of many. It doesn't mean that some sins were not covered. Many just refers to the fact that many, 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 many people in counting the numbers, many people benefit from that sacrifice. That's on the side, but I think it's important to note that. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Hallelujah. So the second time he comes is to take the saved with him. The first time he came was to deal with the sin problem. The second time he comes, it will be to take those that have accepted that sacrifice that he made and have received that salvation. But that's for another day. So the very next verse after chapter 9 verse 28 takes us to chapter 10 verse 1. It's important for us to know that the fact that it's a new chapter does not mean that the topic has changed. See how it starts. Chapter 10, Hebrews 10, 1. For the law, see that? For the law having a shadow of good things to come. Obviously, he's still talking about the same thing. He's not changed the topic. He's not starting anything new. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things themselves can never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Hmm. He says the law has a shadow of things to come and not the very image of the things. In other words, the law is pointing to something that is to come. It's mimicking something to come. It's address rehearsals of sort of something that is to come, which is a good thing. A good thing is coming and the law is foreshadowing that good thing to come. But then he makes this important uh, phrase, statement. 
The law can never, with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So the law is foreshadowing the sacrifice that will make perfect. But the law itself is unable to make perfect. I hope you see that. It's foreshadowing, forecasting, talking about a good thing that is coming, a good sacrifice that is coming that will be able to perfect. But the law itself, because it's not the real thing, cannot make perfect. Verse 2, Hebrews 10, 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. What is he saying? It makes perfect sense. If the law actually took away sin, if the law actually perfected, if the law actually purified, then it will not have to be offered year by year by year by year because once it is offered and it perfects or it takes away sin, it takes away the consciousness of sin and it purifies, then I'm no longer a sinner. I won't have to come offer another sacrifice for sin. But now that it is only foreshadowing something to come and does not actually perfect, it doesn't actually change the person's being then it has to be done year by year by year. Look at verse three. But in those sacrifices that are done year by year by year, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. In other words, when you come, it's not taking away the sin. It's just reminding you that there is a sin problem. And remember, the first verse says it is a shadow of things to come. So it's doing two things. It's reminding you that there is a sin problem and also encouraging you that the solution to the sin problem is coming. Hallelujah. So every year you have to keep going. The best that it could do was to offer you temporary relief. To offer you temporary release. To cover. To appease God temporarily. But it did not solve the problem. Let's, let's read again. Hebrews 10, 3 to 4. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. I hope you're highlighting all of those points in your Bible. Look, look at the things he's talking about. So the law could not perfect. He said that in verse one. In verse two, the law could not purify. The law could not take away consciousness of sin. In verse four, the law could not take away sin. Four different things. But then it is a foreshadowing of a good thing to come. In other words, it's pointing toward a sacrifice that will be able to perfect, that will be able to purify, that will be able to take away the consciousness of sin, that will be able to take away sin but the law itself could only mimic foreshadow that act out the dress rehearsal of the real thing to come now let's read a couple more verses hebrews 10 from 5 to 7 and we'll continue therefore so very clearly he's connecting what he's about to say to what he has already said therefore when he came into the world when who came into the world? Is it the sacrifice? Is it Christ? Is it, what's he talking about? We'll see. Therefore, when 
he came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. And you'd ask yourself, hmm, why is he connecting? He's quoting, obviously, if your Bible has references, you can see it. He's quoting Psalm 40 and connecting it to sacrifices of the past and a good sacrifice that is to come. So what is he really saying? What I love about this is that we don't have to go fish the answers for ourselves because the following verses explain it. So I won't touch it at all. Let's let the Bible explain itself. Look at Hebrews 10 from 8 to 10. Hebrews chapter 10 from 8 to 10. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So very clearly towards the end, there's no waiting to unveil this. He's very clearly talking about the sacrifice, sacrificing of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, that by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the body of Jesus Christ is the body that is now offered, no longer bulls and goats. So very clearly in verse five, when he said, therefore, when he came into the world, when Jesus Christ came into the world, then he quotes Psalm 40 verse eight, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor have pleasure in them. And then he quotes that, he, he makes this statement, which are offered according to the law. We, 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 we cannot go past this. It's incredible. So sacrifice and offering. Bible says burnt offerings, offerings for sin. You did not desire nor had pleasure in them. So God did not desire those sacrifices. God had no pleasure in them. Meanwhile, God is the one who gave those instructions, the instructions for those rituals and sacrifices were not an idea from Moses. It wasn't an idea from the elders of Israel. It wasn't an idea from the priests. God is the one that told them to do that. So is it not a contradiction? How can God ask them to do those sacrifices year by year, year after year after year, and yet he has no pleasure in them, and yet he does not desire them? So what is God doing? What does that mean? He goes into verse 9. Then he said, remember, he is explaining Psalm 40 as though Christ himself is the one saying it. Remember verse 5? Be just before he quoted, he says, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, so when Christ came into the world, Christ Jesus said, so he's quoting verse 40 as though Christ Jesus is, himself is the one saying it. So he's saying, sacrifice burnt offerings he has not desired. Look at verse nine. And he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, he takes away the first that he may establish the second. Hallelujah. Lord, help me. This is too good. And I'm getting too excited. 
He says, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Now, in order for us to understand it, let, let's read that quotation again from Psalm 40. Look at verse 5, 6, and 7. We'll explain that and then jump right back into verse 9. Verse 5, he, he quotes saying, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. We've explained that. God did not desire it, which is something to be understood because he is the one that instituted those sacrifices and offerings in the first place. Then he says, but a body you have prepared for me. So the sacrifice was only foreshadowing the sacrifice that will give God pleasure. <laughs> It was only foreshadowing the sacrifice that God really desired. So, of course, he has no pleasure in the sacrifices of old because they were not solving the problem. They were only highlighting the fact that man had a sin problem, which was supposed to be solved by the perfect sacrifice coming forth and doing that once and for all. I hope you see that. A body you are prepared, the body of Christ. I'll, I'll jump to verse 10 to explain that and then we'll come right back. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I hope you see that. So the body of Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice that was prepared and put together and ready to be offered to actually solve the sin problem and not just temporarily appease God, to temporarily forgive man until man came back the following year to do it all over again. Verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure repeating himself. So yes, they were offering it. He instituted it just so man could come and appease him, at least have a temporary solution until the real deal came. So he actually had no pleasure in them. Verse seven, then I said, Christ Jesus, I said, behold, I come. First thing, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. So he is the sacrifice that the old sacrifices were pointing to. He is the one who is the content. Remember what we said previously. He is the content, the topic. He is the essence of the gospel. That's what makes him the way. I digress. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. It's all about him. It was all pointing toward him, the perfection that they were looking forward to, to do your will, oh God. So he was going to come and actually do the will of God, which is to take away sin and restore man back to him. The sacrifice and offering of bulls and goats could never do it. The reason why he is the pleasurable sacrifice, the reason why Christ Jesus is the desired sacrifice is because he is the only one. His sacrifice is the only thing that could actually deal with the issue that man had. Look at verse 10 again as we, 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 we almost get to the close of it. We have a few more verses to read, but let's read verse 10 first of all again. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let's read a few more. 11 to 14. Hebrews 10, 11 to 14. And every priest 
stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which sacrifices which can never take away sin he repeats himself it cannot it doesn't matter how often it's done, we, who the priest is, who does it, it matters not. It cannot take away sin. It will only highlight the fact that there is a sin problem and point to what the perfect sacrifice to come, verse 12. But this man, who? Christ Jesus. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, verse 13, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So it is once and for all, contrary to the sacrifice that had to be offered year after year after year, his is once and for all. Why? Because it has not just done a temporary, a temporary thing, it has done a permanent work. It is done. It is finished. It is settled once for all. Sin problems solved, not covered, not hidden, not temporarily taken away. It is done. Verse 14, for by one offering, look at that. By one offering, he has perfected forever, hallelujah, those who are being sanctified. Remember the things that we highlighted that the law could not do? Verse 1, Hebrews 10, 1, the law could not perfect those who were offering the sacrifices. Verse 2, the law could not purify. The law could not take away the consciousness of sin. Verse 4, the law could not take away sin. But by this one singular sacrifice, he's done it all. He has perfected forever, not temporary. He doesn't have to do it again. It's done. In him, he says he has perfected by one sacrifice. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And we'll get into that. What's the distinction? Why is there a separation? You cannot begin to be sanctified if you've not received the offering even unto perfection. Spiritually perfected. Our sanctification goes on as you've been set apart to God. Now that you're restored to him. Now that you've been perfected spiritually. Now that you have spiritual life. You've gone from death to life. You can have that intimate koinonia fellowship with God. Now you can approach him. The middle wall of separation is gone. He cannot cast you out because you've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus spiritually. Because that has been done, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit can happen. He can now come and dwell in your spirit because your spirit has become life. The spirit of life can now come and dwell in you and begin to partner with you. And then there'll be the outworking from the inside out. As you grow with him, in him, through him, then the fruits begin to come forth in accordance with your level of maturity. I'm so sorry that I get super excited. It is good news. Let's finish up with something in the book of Romans and we'll use that to pray out today. I hope this makes you really excited. It is good news. Romans chapter 6. Verse 10, for the death that he died, who? Christ Jesus. The death that he died, he died to sin. That was the reason. Sin, that was the reason. He died to sin once for all. But the life 
that he leaves. He leaves to God. And this is what we are supposed to do. Verse 11, likewise, you also, you who have accepted the sacrifice, you who are now in Christ Jesus, you that the sacrifice has been made for, remember, the priests were not killing themselves. They were offering goats and bulls on their behalf. So the sacrifice of another who is perfect is dropped off on those who accept and identify with the sacrifice. That union. We'll get to that. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. If he was given up because of our sin and he has been raised from the dead, why are we still calling ourselves sinners in Christ Jesus? Spiritually, if the sin has been taken away, look at that. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we have not received that newness of life that is immune to sin, it is not of the physical. It's a spiritual deep work that has happened, a new creation that is now righteous. Remember what we said before, God is no longer unrighteous. He is not unrighteous in calling you righteous. He has made you righteous by the sacrifice of Christ so that you can legally escape the wrath of God that is coming upon mankind that is still unrighteous. If you want to see the manifestation of it, it starts with the belief that Abraham had. If you believe in Christ, you believe in the offering that has been made on your behalf. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He tells us he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, if you partner with the Holy Spirit for sanctification, you yourself will begin to testify that yes, indeed, something has changed. Praise God. Lord, continue to give us understanding and assurance of our salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the cross, Lord Jesus. Amen. See you in the next session. Please take the time, make the time to go through all of these verses. And I look forward to your emails and your comments. God bless you. Bye-bye.